0: This is Steve. This podcast is all about making the gospel relevant to your life. That means discovering the good news of Jesus no matter what you're going through today. Part of our prayer this year is that our children would see God's glory. What would it take for them to actually catch a glimpse of Him at work? Do we really want that or is it a little too difficult for us? We're doing this series called New Me in 23, and I know it's cheesy. It's the cheesiest sermon series title I've ever tried to come up with. I know, but I'm serious about it, and I think you are too. It's heavy on my heart about this. Our prayer for this year to date has been the prayer of Moses from Psalm 90, where he prays this beautiful, beautiful prayer. Let us, your servants, see you work again. Don't you want to see God work Come on, don't you want to see God work in your life? Lord, let us see you work again. Let our children see your glory. May the Lord our God show us his approval and make our efforts successful. Yes, make our efforts successful. I'm praying that prayer every day, and it's really on my heart. We want to see God move. Some of us need to see God move in healing. Am I right? Some of us need to see God move in comfort. Some of us need to see God move in a broken relationship. Some of us need to see God move in our anger issues. Can I get an amen on that one? Really, that's weak, man. I need to say an amen loud on that one. We need to see God move on our anger issues. Amen. We need to see God move. We want to see Him move. We're desperate for a move of God, and we want to see it up close and personal. And we want our children to be so moved, so changed by it that they can't stop talking about it. We want our children to see it, our grandchildren to see it. We want whatever God does to just resound through generation after generation. Can I get an amen? That's really what we wanna see. We really wanna see God move. And so we're all about being on His work. We're all about being part of His plan because we know that's how God will move. You know, God will move to redeem this world to Himself. He's all about, He's all about taking this broken, fallen, dark, suffering, dying world and bringing value out of something that seems to have no value, isn't he? That's what he does. That's what he's doing in you. That's what he's doing in me. He is polishing off those dark edges and those rough edges. He's polishing off all that, um, sm- all the smudges and, and all the things that keep us from seeing him, and he's restoring his beauty into this world. That's what redemption is all about, finding value in what seems worthless so we partner with him on this we just want to be part of what he's doing because if we're going to see God move we're going to see him move where he wants to move so we make the gospel relevant to our community that's kind of what we say we do here it's sort of our purpose statement you know we make the gospel relevant we bring it right to whatever level it needs to come to so life change can happen And we all corporately, we work together in doing this by loving God, loving others, and making disciples. Doing the great things that Jesus has called us to do. Love God, love others, and make disciples. We talked about loving God and loving others Remember the last couple of weeks And and we talked about how God says uh, This unique thing Jesus says this unique thing He does something crazy When he locks loving God And loving others together Right they come together Not to be separated In fact he kind of tells us That you really can't love God Without loving others They come as a package deal You can't have one without the other Remember he says If you're coming to me You're coming to me You're coming to worship me and and you're standing at the temple and you have your sacrifice already but then you realize there's something between you and someone else that you hadn't gotten right. He says, drop it. Don't come to me until you first get it right with somebody else. He's saying that our relationship with him can only be if our relationship with others is right. So it's kind of a big deal, and I want to sort of keep talking about that today as we are talking about making disciples, because it's all part of loving others. We're going to celebrate loving others. We're going to celebrate seeing God, others loved and disciples made. Next Sunday on Super Sunday, February fifth, we're going to all be packed into one. Listen, we had a hundred people in the early service today. How are we going to get in here next week? Uh, get here early. I'm just telling you, don't come straggling in at 1131. Uh, Get here early next week because seating is going to be at a premium. We're going to see people baptized next week. We're going to celebrate together. Uh, I'm going to kind of cast vision for where our elders believe God is calling us. Our deacons believe God is calling us this year. And uh, we're going to be looking forward to seeing God move through us that's our prayer Lord we want to see your glory we want our children to see your glory don't you want to see his glory yeah Yeah. maybe sure amen 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 weekly (laughs) we want to see his glory sure we do sure we do I I do but let's, I want you to think about it this way. Okay, I don't play on the football team, right? I mean, I don't wear the jersey, I don't wear the helmet. And so I don't know what it's like to stand on the field and to see the linebacker rushing at me for the tackle. I don't even want to see that. Am I right? <laughs> I don't know what that's like to see that live and in person. But i tell you what I will do. I'll watch it right I mean I'll watch it on my device I won't I won't be engaged with it I won't be on the field but I'll I'll watch it from a distance are you with me difference between seeing and watching I don't I don't ride my motorcycle I love riding my motorcycle I don't ride it through the desert because I don't live near a desert but I follow a couple of guys on YouTube that ride through the desert. I don't know what it's like to see that long, flat, straight highway stretching all the way to the hazy horizon. I don't know what it's like to see that, but I'll, I'll watch those guys do that. There's a difference between seeing and watching. Okay, I got a confession to make. Are you ready? Wes, are you ready for me my confession? You're gonna give me some grace here? Okay, here's my confession. I don't get on spaceships and fly to other planets to fight the blue people, right? I I don't know what it's like to be on that other planet and see the army of the blue people on their blue dinosaur birds flying at me to take down my gunship in midair, right? I I don't know what it's like to see that, but dude, I'll pay money to watch that, right? Right? There's a difference between seeing and watching. There's a difference between being there in the midst of it and watching from a distance. I think we say we want to see God move, but first blank on your page, I think we prefer to watch God move. That's right, I said it. I think we kind of prefer to keep a healthy distance and watch God move. Jesus, in Matthew 28 gives us our great commission. And he says this to his disciples. He says, all, He says, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Okay, just time out. Can I time out right here? So Jesus makes an authority statement. There's an authority moment here that Jesus kind of has. And he says he's been given how much authority? All. Okay, let me just make sure I understand. Jesus has been given how much authority? all authority. So how much does he not have? Yeah, so he has all authority, all the authority in heaven and on earth. Jesus got it going on, right? He's got more power, more authority than anyone. And so, you know, you would think that this would be a moment, an authority moment where Jesus would say, "Verily, verily, I command you. You must do this, you must do that, you must" and use his authority to subjugate us. That's what we normally see authority used for. But Jesus says, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. And then here's what he says next. Therefore, he says to his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You see what he's doing here? He's saying, I've... Got all the authority, all the authority to do anything right here. And then he delegates that authority to his disciples. Therefore, go since all the authority is mine I am now sending you I'm delegating authority to you go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit he goes on teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this I am with you always be sure of this disciple Go and make disciples. I know you are scared. I know you don't really know how. I know sometimes it feels like you're standing on the field and the the linebacker is running at you for the tackle. I I know you're scared. I know maybe you're lonely. I know maybe you feel powerless. I know you fear rejection. But I will be with you. I have all authority, and I will be with you. I'm right there alongside of you. Everything you need, you got in me. What are you worried about? What are you scared of? Why aren't you living by seeing? Why aren't you walking it out as I've called you to? You're a maker of disciples, and you are being made a disciple. You and I are being made disciples. If we're in Christ, we are being made disciples. It's a process that has a beginning in your life, but it does not have an end in this life. I'm still becoming a disciple. I've been saved since the 80s. That's right, I said it, 80s. What are you going to do about it? I've been a a Christian since the 80s, but I'm still becoming a disciple. I'm still learning. I'm still growing. I'm still serving. And he's pretty clear. Go, go Go back one slide for me, Christopher. He says this, therefore go. If you're gonna be a disciple, you can't stay. If you're gonna be a disciple, you gotta go. A disciple moves on the opportunity. You hear me? A disciple is active in this. It's not, therefore, sit and listen and nod and amen weekly. Therefore, he says, go. This is not a spectator sport. You are a player on the field. You are uniformed and trained and you know the plays, right? I mean, that's what a player does. The person who is going to Score going to win the players uniformed trained or has run all the drills practiced, lifted weights knows all the plays i mean they've got it down they've got it down by the time they take the field they know exactly what they're gonna do no surprises is that us are we trained do we know the plays so say i drop you in front of a lost person right now and say hey I, i want you to win that person try to win that person to christ would you know how would you be ready maybe a maybe a friend of yours maybe a relative has doubts about this whole Jesus thing and has legit questions do you know how to deal with those do you know how to walk them through that what does it actually mean for us to be a disciple of Jesus am I going or am I nodding If we're going to make disciples. We've got to know the plays. We've got to run the plays. We've got to know what a disciple even is. In Matthew 4, Jesus, let's just look at it. He was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Matthew 4, this is, this is right at the very beginning of his ministry, right? This is when Jesus is still kind of a nobody. He started to kind of build a following, he's becoming maybe known in small circles. But nobody really knows who he is yet. Nobody has any idea of what Jesus is going to do at this point. He's walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and he saw two brothers, Simon Peter and Andrew, throwing a net into the water because they were fishermen. They fished for a living. And Jesus calls out to them, Come and follow me, he says. And I will show you how to fish for people. Another translation says, I will make you fishers of men. You think you know what you're fishing for now? You just wait and see what I'm going to do in and through you as you become my disciples. Come and follow me. And they left their nets at once and followed him. They knew that if they were going to follow, they had to go so they did so after the cross later flash forward flash forward we're right at the beginning of his ministry here on the shores of Galilee but let's flash forward now to the end of his ministry let's look now at the the, that last little window of time those 40 days that he spent here between the resurrection and the ascension doing miracles and teaching and and all that but but there's that one day in that time period at the end of his ministry where he's spending some time once again along the shores of Galilee. And he has this moment where he, right there on the shore, he, he forgives Peter. Remember what Peter did? He denied Christ three times. And so there's this powerful tearjerker moment on these specific rocks, there on the northern part of the Sea of Galilee, where Jesus asks Peter, the denier, He says, Hey, do you love me? Peter says, You know I do. And he asks him again, Do you love me? Yeah, yeah, you know I love you. And a third time, Jesus asks him, Do you love me? And Peter is like, You know I love you. Right, so he had denied Jesus three times and Jesus gave him three chances to redeem himself and restore that relationship a little bit. It's really kind of a cool spot. It's one of my favorite spots in Israel. We're gonna get to stand right there at those rocks this June when we go. It's really amazing. I hope you'll plan to go to Israel with us. It's not too late to sign up, and the information's right back there. I'd love for you to go to that spot. That's become one of my favorite spots there. After Jesus forgives Peter, he has a little bit more of a conversation with him, and he says to Peter the same thing here in this last 40 days that he said, to start the relationship. He has the same thing to say to Peter. He says this in John 21. He says, follow me. Follow me. Let's restart this relationship. You left everything for me before, and now I'm here to say again, follow me. Go with me. Follow me. Jesus makes it clear if you're, if you're reading the whole discussion he makes it clear that when he's talking to Simon Peter here he's not talking about hey, you know, follow me to the synagogue and then you're good or follow me for a season right now you know, this isn't hey guys, make sure to like and subscribe and hit that bell for the notifications you know, he's not doing follow me on social media Jesus is being pretty clear with Simon Peter I want you to follow me for the rest of your life I mean, I want you in this from now until you're with me again. It's kind of a big follow me. In fact, Jesus tells Peter how his end will come in this moment. You'll have to read it for yourself in John 21. So they have this discussion, follow me. And that's when Peter does the thing that we don't usually like to read out loud in church. That's the moment where Peter Who's just been forgiven in this beautiful way by Jesus at this beautiful location? And then he says, Follow me. And Peter does this kind of a weakling move. He looks over and he sees John, one of the other disciples. And here's what he says He says, Well, what about him, Lord? You want me to follow you all the rest of my life? What about him? I don't want to do this alone. I'm not doing it if he's not doing it. I mean, look, I, I've been there and it was painful and it hurt. And look, I, I've, I've tasted and I've seen, but I don't want to be the only weirdo out there following you for the rest of my life. What about that guy? Jesus is saying, Come on, Peter, come on, be my disciple, follow me. I'm not going to be here much longer, but you keep going in all this. Be a disciple that makes disciples. Follow me. But Peter's basically kind of implying, I, you know, I don't know if I want to go it alone. I don't want to know if I want to do this by myself. What about that guy? Am I going to be the only one? Peter's scared. And Jesus replies. This way. He says, If I want him, John, to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? And Jesus says, Next blank on your page, As for you, follow me. As for you, follow me. It doesn't matter what that guy's gonna do. It doesn't matter how faithful and how obedient anybody else in your circle of friends are. As for you, follow me. Why, when I say follow me, why do your eyes dart to the person next to you? Why do you look around and say, well, hey, I'm not, I don't want to get, I don't want to be out here alone on this. Why, why do you gauge your obedience level based on the poor behavior of people around you? Why do you gauge your own obedience level based on the unfaithfulness of people around you? Why would you settle? Why in the world would you settle to live your Christian life at the lowest common denominator? But that's what we do so much. I don't wanna be the only one. I don't wanna do this if, you know, everybody else isn't doing it. But Jesus says, as for you, follow me. Everything Jesus calls us to feels like the opposite of what the world has programmed us to. I know the way you think. Listen, Jesus knows the way you think too. I know because I grew up in the same broken, dark world that you have. And we breathe it in and we breathe it out every day. We read it. We watch it. We're part of it every single day. And this world is all about you doing what's right for you. You don't follow anyone else. You go your own way, like the song says, right? That's everything this world has to say to us. But Jesus calls us to the opposite. In fact, he says this in Mark 10. He's talking to his disciples, and he says, You know that the rulers in this world are. Lord it over their people And the officials flaunt their authority Over those under them Wow I'm glad we live in the 21st century And not the first century Because we don't see that today do we? <laughs> do you see the rulers in your workplace Lording it over everybody? Do you see them barking orders And telling everybody what to do And then they go on their two hour break? Right? Do you see it in politics? Do you see the politicians loving their authority, loving their power, loving their title, loving their control? Do you see it in politics? Oh, only on one side. You know, that's the way the world, Jesus is saying that's what you should expect because that's the way the world is. I know the way it's wired, I've seen it happen and everybody, everybody is all about Themselves, especially the, the leaders, the rulers. But then he says this. He says, but among you, it will be different. Among you, disciples, it'll be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the, look, he used that word slave, must be the slave to everyone else. Jesus calls us to the upside-down kingdom. He calls us backwards to go in the opposite direction of everyone else. He continues, he says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. He calls us to the opposite of everything the world uh, tells us about. And you know what? I think we Christians are pretty okay with Jesus telling us not to flaunt our authority over other people. Because frankly, nobody here would ever want to impose themselves on other people. You don't want to flaunt your authority. You want to be courteous and nice. You want to be a good neighbor. You don't want to flaunt any kind of authority over anybody. So you'll just flaunt your authority over Jesus instead. I know how it goes. Jesus is saying, go and make disciples. He's saying, I want you to be the servant of all, the slave of all. That's who you're called to be. And I don't, you know, Jesus, I don't have time. I'm tired from work. I got practice going on. I got deadlines to meet. I got problems to solve. I don't have any money. I don't have any time. I sure don't have any energy. And frankly, Jesus, I'm too important for that. My needs need to come first. And so we just like to flaunt our authority over Jesus. I don't want to get too involved. Listen, I, had, I, I heard somebody actually say this. I don't, I don't want to make a commitment to Sunday mornings on serving on a team. Because if I wake up on a Sunday morning and I'm tired and I want to stay in bed, I just want to have the freedom to stay in bed. And I got news for you. Me too. Me too. And that's exactly what he's calling us to. Jesus says, if anybody wants to come after me, if you want to follow me, you must deny yourself. That's step one, denying self. Yes, I'd rather sleep in until noon and then go to IHOP for brunch. Of course, that's what I would like to do. But I deny myself and I do what he calls me to do. Listen, it's a, it's a child that says me first. It's a child that puts their needs over everybody else's. And it takes a grown-up to say, mm, no, nope. I'll deny myself and I'll think of others first. You're a baby when all you can think of is what you need in the moment. We're all like Ryan, from the office. Remember him? I got away with everything under the last boss and it wasn't good for me at all. So I want guidance. I want leadership. But don't just like boss me around, you know? Like lead me. Lead me when I'm in the mood to be led. Isn't that who we are? Jesus, lead me. I mean, but not right now. Not if it might embarrass me. Lead me, but not if it might cost me something. Lead me, but not if I have to miss out on something I'd want. Lead me when I'm in the mood to be led. When when should we follow his lead and serve others? Paul writes in Galatians 6. He says this, here's the answer, whenever we have the opportunity. Whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially those in the family of faith whenever we have the opportunity. I'm, I'm not gonna go into them right now, but here at the Orchard, that's why we provide lots of opportunities. The goal is to have a lot of different teams that serve at different times. Some of them serve on Sunday mornings. Some of them serve out at Tower Road. Some of them serve on um, you know, downtown events. Uh, different teams, different ways. We just wanna give you the opportunity to be obedient to be led by him and to be a disciple becoming a servant to others. Lord, let us see you move again. Lord, let our children see your glory. John tells us that the way that that the world will see it is like this in John 13, 35. He says, Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. You see that? They've got to see it to believe it and so Jesus is telling us through John that it's our love for one another that will be the proof that Jesus is our Lord what this tells me is that this love this love that he's describing it can't be just a good feeling well you know I just really love that guy It can't be just a good vibe or a warm feeling that you have. Your love for one another must be evident and obvious. It's got to be on display in such a way that the people around you can't escape it. It's our love for each other that is the proof that Jesus is the Lord. They've got to see it to believe it. In Philippians 2, Paul writes, Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others, but be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Does that sound like a good description of church world today? Because I, I I, know a lot of prideful people in church, don't you? I know a lot of people that, that this idea, this humble thinking of others is better than yourselves that's kind of a foreign concept yet they're in church every Sunday they claim to be people of the word of God and how do you know how do you know if you're prideful I, I mean I'll just tell you one way you might know is if you always show up and you're the only one talking in every conversation if yours is the only mouth running and every time you're doing this with somebody there's kind of smiling and nodding uh-huh uh-huh maybe you have a pride issue if you're always pointing your finger and complaining about something or someone else you might have a pride issue church people are known for not being humble but for being prideful and can I just take a minute and just can we just be okay can we just be okay that you and I are all hypocrites? Can we just acknowledge that right now? I mean, I don't, I don't mean okay like, oh, we're good with that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be a hypocrite, do you? I, I don't want to ever be, I don't, I don't ever want, I hear it all the time, people are like, I don't want anything to do with church because that's just a bunch of hypocrites. And my answer is, well, yeah, we're broken people who are ruined by sin. And we've just entered into a relationship with Christ where he's bringing value out of something that seems worthless. Yeah, that's, that's who we are. Don't, don't quit church because people are hypocrites because wherever you go, you're gonna find hypocrites. Where I used to work, uh, I used to work in an office that looked across the parking lot at a medical facility. So we shared the parking lot together and three times a day, every day, all of the medical personnel, like the whole staff it seemed like, would come out in their little blue scrubs for their 30-minute smoke break. And all of the medical people are out there smoking together. Hypocrites telling me how to be healthy and then you're out there smoking the whole time? I'm gonna quit going to the doctor. Did I quit going to the doctor? Of course not of course not that would be stupid that would be foolish so I'm just saying all of us all of us are broken and none of us are perfect that's why we love the grace of God because as we said last week he loves you just the way you are but he loves you so much that he refuses to leave you that way And all of us are in the process of being changed more and more into his image. So Paul writes, he says, think of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. And he says this, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had, though he was God, though he was God. Though he shared the throne room with his father in heaven, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Another translation says, something to grasp. In other words, he let go of that. And instead, he gave up his divine privileges and he took the humble position of a slave. He went first. He had every right and every reason to stay in that throne room and cross his arms and look down his nose at me and you and say, You have ruined everything. We made this beautiful, beautiful universe to all point to God. It's all designed to glorify us and to work beautifully. No sorrow, no shame, no suffering, no pain, no cancer, no paralysis no injuries, none of that stuff. It's not supposed to be that way, but you've ruined it because of that sin that happened in the garden. And it's all come crashing down. And now there's hatred and anger and sex trafficking and war. There's violence. There's people being beat in the streets. There's corruption and there's anger and there's hatred. You ruined this. He could have stood there, crossing his arms, and said, "Sucks to be you. You'll get what's coming." He could have, but instead, he he came not just as a servant, but he came as a baby. Babies poop themselves. Who's more humble than a baby? He came to a peasant-class family in an obscure little outlying province of the Roman Empire where poverty had a grip on everything. He went from place to place among the dirty, sick, hungry people. He touched them. He seemed to love to serve others by teaching, by healing. He took the humble position of a slave. He was born as a human being, and when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself even more in obedience to God, and he died the criminal's death on the cross. Instead of sucks to be you, you'll get what's coming. He stretched out his arms and let them drive those nails through his wrists and his feet. And he said, you know, you must pay for what you do. The penalty for treason is death. And instead of saying sucks to be you, you'll get what's coming. He said, I'm coming and I'll take it. I'll pay that price in your place. I'll die for your sins. And he humbly died on that cross in the most humiliating, exposing, awful, painful, violent way that humans know how to kill someone. He died a criminal's death on the cross for you and for me, paying for our sin. And then he rose again three days later, alive and breathing and now lives to come to you and to knock on that door and say, hey, let me in, let me in. Give your life to me and I'll change everything. Give your life to me and yes, it's gonna feel the opposite, but that's the way I've designed it in the first place. I'm restoring you to who you were originally designed to become. Jesus, because he lived on mission for his father he was always willing to put everybody else first. In other words, next blank on your page, Jesus lived his life, God first, so you first. He modeled what it's like to serve others. God first, so you first. I know that makes no sense today. I know that makes no sense. I'm saying that and what you're hearing is, well, now I gotta work harder. Now I gotta give more. Now I gotta suck it up and do what I don't wanna do. I know it doesn't make any sense. It, It doesn't make any sense because everything you've ever seen and been taught tells you the opposite of what Jesus tells you. Nothing in this world says, give yourself away. It doesn't make sense in this world. And it doesn't make sense when you turn on the television and you watch the religious elites on TV, right? Because they don't don't write books about giving yourself away. They talk about building yourself up. Doesn't make sense to the religious elite today. It didn't make sense to the religious elite in Jesus' day. Why would it make sense to them today? I know, I know it sounds hard. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, he says, When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. I didn't understand it all. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now, He says we see things imperfectly like puzzling reflections in a mirror but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. Yeah, you want to see God move? You want to see him right now? It's hard to see. It's hard to get your head around the fact how can God move through me loving enough to serve other people but then we will see clearly with perfect clarity. He goes on and he says all that I now know is partial and incomplete but then I will know everything completely just as God now knows me completely I'm saying if you want to see God move you got to go, you got to serve you got to follow me, I want to follow him, I don't want to be a hypocrite I want to walk so closely behind my rabbi that the dust his feet kicked up, uh, kicks up I I want that dust to just coat me that's how close I want to walk to my rabbi. Listen to me. Listen, young parents in the room, young parents watching online. Your kids, your children, they may just be toddlers right now. They may be infants. I got one infant in the back right there. Becca Blades got her baby back there in the back. Um, they may just be learning to talk like my grandkids. And your kids are being raised right now at just a crazy time in history. Can I get an Amen. I mean, right is wrong and wrong is right. Everything is backwards and upside down. You can't even reason logically anymore, it seems like. And you're gonna get your kids into the school system and the goal of, I'm sorry, the goal of the Marxist educational curriculum that school systems use now are gonna wanna teach your little boy that he should probably be a little girl. You know, don't you want to be a little girl? You can be whichever one you want. And they want to distort and warp and break that beautiful image of God that he has planted into the person of that little boy. Your kids will be taught all of the anti-Christ philosophies of this world. Those philosophies are out to break the family unit so that the system sees your child as belonging to them more than they belong to you and your kids will be taught that all Christians are racist homophobes intolerant and that you've got to free yourself from any of those religious shackles and they have done well in the media and in our culture of recasting evil into good and good into evil. Am I right? And your kids will be raised in it just like, just like when you hear Jesus calling you to something, calling you to live in a certain way. It sounds backwards. It sounds opposite. It sounds hard. Your kids are being raised in an environment where it's going to be even harder it's going to be even worse I don't know that they're going to be able to see clearly because they're going to be indoctrinated in all this stuff and you don't want that to happen am I right none of us want your kids to be indoctrinated in that way so we want to change it but honestly we're probably not going to change the news media's agenda for your kids You know, we're not going to be able to change the snowflakes on, you know, social media and their agenda for your kids. Listen to me, young parents. If you want your kids to see God move again, you are going to have to show it to them yourself. You are going to have to show them what it looks like to fix your eyes on Christ and to walk with determination and clarity straight in his direction every day. That's on you, mom and dad. You got to show them what it looks like to put Christ over everything. All right, you got to show them what it looks like to make a commitment to him and stick to it even when it's hard. To stick to it even when you don't feel like it. You got to learn and you got to show them to put Christ over your emotions, to put Christ over your circumstances, to put Christ over your schedule back to John 13 35 your love for one another will prove to your children that you are my disciples they've got to see it to believe it show your kids Jesus by serving like Jesus please your children your grandchildren need to see Jesus and they're going to see it In us, Jesus has another authority moment. I got to wrap it down pretty quickly. He has another authority moment. So, this is a different night. We looked at his authority that he had in that 40 day window, but this is before that. This is another authority moment. It's on that last night they had together in that upper room before he goes to the cross. And gathered together there, we see this in John 13. It says, Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything. Authority over everything. Here it is again. Jesus has all authority, and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, and he took off his robe, and he wrapped a towel around his waist. He has all authority that he could flaunt. But with that authority, he wraps a towel and he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that he had around him. This one man with all authority in heaven and on earth uses that authority to kneel and to do the job of the lowliest of servants. He washes his disciples' feet. This was a powerful object lesson for them to see their master, the one who says, follow me like this. I bet it was powerful for them. I bet it was emotional for them to see their their master serving them in this very practical, real, humbling way. He dries them with the towel that he had around him. Jesus doesn't serve them in spite of his greatness. He serves them because of his greatness. He is such a great God that he would lower himself to make the gospel relevant at foot level to us. Jesus tells his disciples in John 15, there's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. That's who he calls us to be. Self-sacrificial serving love. So yeah, I want to see God move I want to see God move Dude, I want the signs and the wonders I want, to, I want to come in here on a Sunday morning And I want the Holy Spirit to just move across this place And we just go nuts with the filling of the Holy Spirit And I, don't even, I can't even begin to imagine what might happen That's what I want to see But what I see in Jesus' life Is the next blank on your page That God moves when disciples serve God moves when disciples serve It's your love for one another that will be the proof that we are his disciples. The image of God is seen in so many ways. You know, we see it in a manger when the Son of God humbled himself to come and be born where animals eat. You know, we see it when the Son of Man has no place to lay his own head. We see it sitting beside the rejected woman at a well in Samaria. We see the image of God in a towel being used to wash disciples' feet. We see it in a cross where blood was spilled and a life was sacrificed. We see it in a tomb, not of his own, but a borrowed tomb. We see the image of God clearly on display through humble, loving service for others. That's what Jesus paid for on that cross. And my question for you is, the last blank on your page, what does the cross demand of me?